So many of you remember a couple of weeks ago, um, I shared with you a video testimony of a friend of ours named Billy Wayne Hunt. You remember that? And today, um, I wanted to share a portion of that video testimony with you again, along with a bonus clip. Have you ever went to a movie that had bonus clips at the end? That's what you're going to get today. Watch this. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've done or where you've been or who you've been with or whatever sin is holding you back, there's not one chain you can't break. Amen. There's not one thing that God can't do, and cancer is one of them. If you were to die tonight, Billy, where would you go? I'd be right here with heaven. Why? Because I have a Lord that prepared a place for me. Amen. He said he did, and he would, Yeah. and I believe it. Yeah, because it's not about what you did, it's about what he did, right? Yeah. Amen. You love Jesus. Yes, I do. Why did you want to do this? We told me to baptize him in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As Billy alluded to in his uh, short uh, testimony there, um, he is suffering from cancer, for those of you who, did, who aren't aware. And we weren't sure, he wasn't sure whether he would have the strength to come and do the baptism here in church. That's what he wanted to do. But um, so uh, we kind of brought the church to him, amen. And um, we, that day, surrounded by family and friends, we, uh, we celebrated his baptism. I wanted you guys to see that just because you had been a part of this journey with us. But there's another reason why I wanted you to see a portion of it, especially the baptism part. Um, that day, as I said a moment ago, um, there, he had his family there, and a few, from, few friends from the church were there. And one of the persons that was there from his family was his 15-year-old granddaughter, beautiful young lady. And um, as we were standing around afterwards, just visiting, and we, there was a little bit of you know, little food and fellowship going on, she asked me, she said, she said I, I've heard you talk about this testimony thing. She said, what, what does that mean? And as my mind began to race, how do I, how do I answer this question for her? Um, there are a few things that came to my mind. First thing that came to mind was um, how awesome that she asked the question in the first place, right? That she, you know, sometimes I'm, I question whether 15-year-olds are really paying attention to me. But she was paying attention to what was going on. I thought that was awesome. But even more importantly, she was, she was thinking and considering deeply about what had happened there. So I wanted to make sure that the answer that I gave to her was one that um, a 15-year-old would, would appreciate, right? And then it wouldn't be some, you know, theological gobbledygook. I wanted it to be real for her. Um, so, ironically, the answer that God gave to me that day, maybe it's not so ironic, but the answer that God gave to me to give to her that day is the same answer that we're going to be looking at in our scripture lesson for today. Um, for those of you who are guests or visitors with us, um, the last several weeks we have been in an all-church study called Seamless, which is a, an overarching view of the Bible. But for the most of the year, what we have been doing is we've been on a journey through the New Testament book of Acts. And we've taken one chapter a week all throughout 2021. And 
Um, today we're picking up the final leg of that journey. There's three weeks left. We take a, a chapter a week. And as I said, maybe not quite so ironically, the, the um, story that we're going to be reading today from Acts chapter 26 gives us the answer to that 15-year-old's question, what is a testimony? And I'm going to give you a little bit of, a, uh, of a, an idea of what we're going to look at today. The truth of the matter is that a t- the concept of a Christian testimony literally comes or grows from uh, where we would traditionally use the word testimony or testify. It comes from a courtroom, right? Um, and in a, in a courtroom, in a court of law, um, people go to the witness stand and they testify to the truth that they have experienced, right? Well, a Christian testimony is pretty much the same thing. But here's the, here's the significant difference. It's not a testimony about a truth that we have experienced. It is the, a testimony about the truth that we have experienced. And it's the, the truth that we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up to Acts chapter 26. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay, because we got Bibles everywhere here. Uh, there should be one right in front of you. A church Bible. If you're looking using one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1,111. That will help you to get there real quick. Uh, and as you're looking this passage up, let me give you just a little bit of a runway to where we left off uh, six weeks ago, okay? Um, where we left off was the Apostle Paul, who's become kind of the central figure of the book of the, of the Acts of the Apostles, other than Jesus. Jesus is always the central figure. Um, the Apostle Paul is in prison. Remember that? He has been languishing in prison now for two years. And what did he, what dastardly thing had he done that caused him to be put in prison for two years? Well, if you were to boil it down, it was the simple fact that he loved Jesus. Well, but it wasn't just the fact that he loved Jesus. There was a little more to it than that. What really got him into, into deep water was that he loved Jesus and that he had the gall to tell people that he loved Jesus. That's really what upset the apple cart. If he had just kept it to himself, listen to me now, if he had just kept it to himself... There wouldn't have been any problem. Um, If he had just kept it to himself, it really wouldn't have made much of a difference, except for to him. Listen to me now. It was when he shared the fact that he loved Jesus with others, that's when it started making a difference in others. It's also when he got into trouble. Now, the truth of the matter was this. Everybody knew that Loving Jesus and testifying to that was not, at least from a legal perspective, something that, w- that should have kept him in prison for two years. Everybody knew that. There was no legal grounds to keep him in prison. But Paul understood that, or he had a sense anyway, that God was up to something. Now, I'm going to pause right there for just a second, too, because I want to say something to you. Um, there may be times in your life when you find yourself in um, situations you don't want to be in, situations that may be painful or unfair, and it'll be your natural inclination to want to um, 
extricate yourself from those situations, right? Because it's not fair. And I'm not, I'm not going to suggest to you that you shouldn't try, but what I want to suggest to you is that in those moments when you find yourself being treated unfairly, consider the possibility that maybe God's up to something. All right? That's what Paul did. He, was, he had this sense inside of him that God was up to, to something. So instead of, of fighting to extricate himself from a situation that wasn't fair and everybody knew it wasn't fair, he decided to play the hand that God had given to him. And um, ultimately what he decided to do, because it was his right as a Roman citizen, what he decided to do was to plead his case or say, I want to go before Caesar. Had he not done that, he probably would have been out of prison a long time ago. But because he sensed that God was doing something, he, he decided to plead his case for, to Caesar. The question is, why? Why would, you, why would he do something? No, everybody knew it. Why would, he, why would he choose to keep himself in an uncomfortable, unfair situation? It's because he believed that God was up to something. But, but what was that something? What is the why? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. In Acts, um, oh, by the way, I want to say something here because I think this is important too. Um, Paul, well, let's just go on to the scripture. I think we can get to it eventually. It says here in Acts chapter 26, verses 2 and 3, um, Paul has had an opportunity to give testimony before King Agrippa. Now, prior to that, he had had the opportunity in the course of those two years that he's been in prison, he had had the opportunity to give testimony towards for two governors. One was Festus and the other one was Felix. But now he has the opportunity to give his testimony before a king. His name is King Agrippa, which is a big deal. He's the king of Judea, right? He's the king of Judea, but he's also, what you need to know about Agrippa is that he is also a Jew. He is the king of Judea. In some respects, he is the king of the Jews. And listen to what he says. Here in uh, Acts chapter 26, verses 2 and 3, he says to Agrippa, he's, he is on the witness stand in the courtroom, and he says to the judge who is King Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, I, ca- I count myself a fortunate to be able to plead my case before you today because you understand the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Now, why do you suppose that King Agrippa understood the customs and the controversies of the Jews? Why? Because he was a Jew, right? So he says, I consider myself fortunate to be able to plead my case before you, before the king. This is what I wanted you to hear. Paul considered himself fortunate not because he had the opportunity to plead his case before a king, King Agrippa. He considered himself fortunate because he had an opportunity to plead his case for the king, who is Jesus. His king, who is Jesus. That's why he thought, this is awesome! 
And for the rest of the chapter, as you go through there and you look and read that yourself, what you'll discover is that that's what he does for almost the entire chapter. He gives testimony to the plan of God and who is Jesus, right? And how that plan has impacted his life personally. And it, it's in verses 22 and 23, jump, real, jump ahead real quickly. In verses 22 and 23, he prepares to conclude his testimony, and he says this. He says that it has been by the help of God, or it has been by the power or the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon me, that I have had the privilege to share a testimony, my testimony, to great and small about this plan of God, about about God's plan for Christ, that he would suffer and that he would die and that he would raise again in the hope that he might share light, hope, and salvation with everyone. It's pretty beautiful, huh? That was his testimony. That was his Christian testimony in this court of law. It's been my great privilege to with the help of God, he knew that he couldn't do it himself. He knew that he shouldn't do it himself. To give testimony toward to great and small, to governors named Felix and Festus and to kings named Agrippa. But he goes on to say, he says great and small because he wanted them to understand that this plan that God had wasn't just for the great. It was also for the small people like you and me, just folks, right? This plan that God had to save the world, to bring light and hope into the world was for anyone who would receive it. King Agrippa hears this message and, and he says, I'm, I'm going to embellish it a little bit. You read it for yourself in there in Acts 26, but basically he goes, it's like he, you can imagine a king who's um, setting in judgment over someone, you know, someone like, some pauper like Paul. He basically says, what are you trying to do here, dude? Are you trying to convince me in this short time? Are you trying to convince me that I should become a Christian? Is that what you're doing here? And it says in verse 29 that, uh, that Paul looks at him and basically says, yep, that's what I expect. That's what I'm hoping for. But not just you. It's my hope and my prayer that everyone who hears this message will fall in love with Jesus. Again, he was trying to say to King Agrippa, you're important because you're a child of the king, but you're no more important than him or, or her or him because this message is for everyone, great and small. You are all loved. You have all been invited into the family of God, every single one of you. He said, yeah, it was my, my hope that you would become a Christian, but, but what I'm really hoping for is that everyone who hears this message from now 
Because, see, he was, what he was doing, he was actually testifying to you and to you. Because what have we done today? We have heard his testimony here today in the hope that you might accept Jesus as Lord. Now, does anybody know historically whether King Agrippa accepted um, the testimony of Paul and became a Christian? Does anybody know? I did a little research. There is no historical evidence that King Agrippa accepted Paul's testimony. He never became a Christian, as far as we know. So, here's my question to you. Do you think Paul felt like a failure because Agrippa didn't receive the message? I hope not. I hope not for a couple of reasons. I hope not, number one, because even though Agrippa didn't, there have been literally millions of people since then that have heard this testimony and have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's good news. That's really good, right? But here's, here's what I need you to hear from me today. What I want you to hear today is that I, I pray that he didn't feel a failure because Agrippa never responded because it was not his responsibility to make sure that Agrippa responded. Hear me now. What was Paul being called to do? Paul wasn't being called to convince anyone that Jesus is the way. What he was being called to do was to testify to the fact that Jesus is the way in him. That this is God's plan and this is how it's been lived out in me. What you do with that message is between you and God. And if he were to, if he were to take responsibility for every single person that chooses not to receive, it would, it would have driven him nuts. It would, I feel that way all the time. I mean, I, as I'm, there, have been t- there were times when I was younger in my career when I would think, yeah, I've got to go in there and I've got to preach it with all I've got to make sure because I don't want someone to come and then not. It's not, I, I, I'm telling you right now, I pray, I'm, I'm with Paul. I pray that every single person before you leave here today, I pray that you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But if you don't, that's on you. That's not on me, Okay. It's just the truth. That's between you and God. What's my job? To testify. To testify to the truth. Is it my job to be a Bible scholar? In some ways, you're the pastor. You should know the Bible, right? But ultimately, your job and my job is to testify to the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. Is it our jobs to have all the answers to all the questions that people have after we testify? Well, it'd be nice. But that's really not your job to have all the answers. It is your job to have the answer for you. And that's the good news that you need to hear today because here's the deal. And I said this at the first service and I need you to hear me right now. All of what we've talked about, this is where I'm going from preaching to meddling, because everything that I've been talking about today is about you. The same call that was upon the Apostle Paul's life is on you if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are called to testify to the difference that Jesus has made in your life. You are not called to make sure that everybody responds positively. You are not necessarily called, though it would be wonderful if you were a Bible scholar. It would be wonderful if you had all the answers. But that's not really your calling. Your call is to to go to the witness stand because you 
have been called to that witness stand because you are the um, foremost expert on this one thing, the difference that Jesus has made in your life. You are the foremost. No one knows that story better than you know it. That's what you've been called to. Now, that may feel good to you. To some of you, it may scare you. Because as you're pondering that, you're going, I, I'm, not sure what, I'm not sure what difference Jesus has made in my life. And I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, but if, if that's you, if you're, if you're sitting here and you've been hearing what I'm saying this morning, and you're thinking, I'm not sure I can identify what Jesus, the difference Jesus has made in my life, maybe you need to ask yourself this question. Maybe it's because he hasn't. Maybe the, prob- the reason why you're struggling to find the difference that Jesus has made in your life is because the Jesus I am giving testimony to, do- to today is a gentleman. And my Jesus loves you with every fiber of his being and he has been wooing you into relationship since the day you were born. But he's a gentleman and he's not going to force you to be in relationship with him. He's not going to do it. So if you're struggling to, find, to, to identify the difference that Jesus has made in your life, maybe it's because you haven't invited him into your life. Because I'm telling you right now, it's not good enough that you just came to church today. I love that you came to church today. But that's not good enough. It's not good enough that you are a Bible scholar or that you think you do have all the answers. There's only one thing that is good enough. And what is it? You've accepted Jesus into your heart yourself. Have you made the conscious decision to accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior? If you've not made that conscious decision, there's a real good chance he's all this time he's been on the outside saying, invite me in. And it's only until you invite him in that you'll begin to experience the difference that he makes. Until you make the decision to invite him into your heart and let him be Lord. And listen to me now about what lordship is. Lordship is about, Lisa, my wife Lisa is a, a, a preschool teacher. And there's a little boy. Can I say his real name, Lisa? His name is Harvey. He's Harvey. I call him Harry just because. Harry, Harvey, um, accepted Jesus into his heart as Lord and Savior last week. And when his teacher asked him, Harvey, what does it mean to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior? It means he's the boss and I'm not. (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes, right? Listen to me now. Is Jesus the boss of you? Because if Jesus isn't, what it means, when Jesus is the boss, it means he's in charge and not you. You can say the words, but if Jesus isn't the boss instead of you, it's not true. Remember earlier when we were praying about those four-year-olds or those little kids up here? We said how Jesus has become like them. That's what we're talking about. What's it mean for Jesus as Lord? It means he's the boss. And when you make Jesus the boss, it doesn't mean that 
that you get pushed around. It means that you become everything that you were created to be. You begin the process of becoming everything you were created to be. And, and that's when your testimony begins to be born. When you let Jesus be the boss, one day you'll turn around and somebody will say, well, well, what difference has he made in you? And you'll go, I don't know if I've got time to tell you everything. Once I was lost and now I was found, once I was this, I, I remember I was a teenager and I, I felt insecure and I pretty much hated myself because I didn't think I was good at anything and I didn't think anybody could love someone like me. And I remember when I invited Jesus into my heart to be my Lord. And when, when I did, it was like he said to me, I love you. I love you. Not because you're this or that or because you're not that or you. I love you. And that person that I was that was struggling every day of my life to act and react in a way that would make Rod like me was transformed. Well, it didn't happen like overnight, but it started, I could feel it when it started happening. And I just started liking and loving who I was because the creator of the universe liked and loved who I was. And the creator of the universe liked and loved me so much that he wasn't going to leave me the person that I was. That's somebody to say amen to that, huh? Maybe today's the day for your testimony to begin. Maybe today is the day that, that you should just stop being religious and start being relation, relational with Jesus. Maybe today's the day that you should make the conscious decision to accept Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. There's nothing magical about it. Um, every week, I or Bill, Billy and I try to, we offer the opportunity for anyone that would like to, to pray with us in the prayer room. It could be about anything, but one of the things that we, we try to offer every week is that, off, that prayer of salvation with you. I mean, but you don't need us. That's the whole point. You don't need Billy or I or anybody else necessarily to pray with you when you accept Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. You have access to the King of Kings and to the throne room because you are you. And you can do that yourself. But if you'd like someone to stand in encouragement and solidarity with you and as you say that prayer of salvation and invite him into your heart as Lord and Savior, it'd be my privilege, it'd be our privilege to pray that with you. As the band's coming up to lead us in our final song today, if you would like to pray that prayer, if you would like today to be the day that your testimony, your Christian testimony begins, I'll be right over there in the prayer room, which is what that, that open door is. If there's anything else that you have on your heart that you would like to pray for with your pastor, it would be my privilege to pray for those things too. I'll be right over there.